0: Interesting choice of footwear today. Oh man,
1: are you gonna come for me? I think I intentionally try to not wear the sandals too far from home.
0: It's raining super hard today.
1: But yeah, I'm wearing black Teva sandals. These are the only pair of sandals I own. Like these are the only pair of shoes I own where you can see my toes. I
0: hate sandals in general.
1: You hate people seeing your toes.
0: Well, toe. Yeah, I mean, footy toes are not the most attractive toes.
1: best intro this is making it up co-hosted by myself sharice poon and eugene can we come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we're interested in have questions about want to get each other's thoughts on making up is produced by Megan, which is original storytelling at its purest through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals.
0: Making it up is an exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture it's an opportunity to sound off on each other and make sense of the complex intertwined
1: world we live in. We try to come to some sort of conclusion in order to be helpful to you, our listeners, but really we are working through things and we appreciate you working through them with us.
0: Making It Up is supported by our generous Patreon members. To help us keep going, consider becoming a member at patreon.com for discord access, exclusive newsletters, and more. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about this post that we did on Instagram two days ago called, What app or software makes your life complete? What makes your life complete, Cherise? Did you even reply to this one?
1: No, I did not. Jesus. What app or software makes your life complete? That sounds so intense. Makes your life complete? Did you write this question? Nate did. Okay. It's e- What is yours?
0: Todoist. My life runs on Todoist. Todoist is a task. Tracking app. It's
1: going to be my calendar app. I but is it Google Calendar? Function. Google? No, I use a app. I mean, this is totally not paid. We don't get paid by Todoist or this calendar app I use, which is Fantastical.
0: Sounds like it's $5 a month.
1: It was a one-time payment for the app.
0: Oh, interesting. It's not
1: a subscription. But I mean, that it's not about the app so much as that I had to just find a pleasing calendar app. Basically what I'm saying is like, no matter what app it was, it would have to be my calendar that makes my life complete. Cause I would fall apart. Like I wouldn't show up anywhere on time without it.
0: In all fairness, Charisse did have a meeting the other day that she, I yeah. forget what it was.
1: Well, thanks for coming for me.
0: All right, let's read some of them. At Frank Liu, friend of ours said, anyone who doesn't answer notes is clearly insane.
1: He got some likes. He also got a response at Empire Ave. I just started playing with notes and realized how amazing it's become.
0: I think they know each other. I think it might be a little banter.
1: Bants. We have at Boy Worldwide saying Procreate on the iPad as a multimedia whiteboard, as a sketchpad, quick edits. Prior to this, I was using MS Paint and random free mock-up sites to make sketches. Took so much longer to convey simple ideas back then. That's a pretty good sell for Procreate on the iPad specifically.
0: At Ricardo M. Rogues said Spark Email, which is a third-party email app. I've used it before. I didn't love it. I can't even remember what it was. I just know that for me, email apps that don't have Google Priority Inbox are a no-go, and that's almost all of them. I haven't found a better solution than just the browser.
1: I mean, we could do an entire spin-off podcast that was just about apps. We have at Karachung, a friend of ours, coming in for InDesign. And then again, she says Arena.
0: Yeah. Arena is also the choice of at Eric J. Quicho.
1: i might have said that wrong. We have one person at Oklavis going for Notion, which I also know in the and Discord is quite a popular I don't choice. mind Notion.
0: It's pretty good. Especially uh, the free account. Notion. The personal one's good. If you're looking it's for full-powered. a...
1: New writing app that can be customized and organized. I feel like the main two that people have been gravitating towards are Notion and Rome research.
0: Yeah, but Rome's expensive. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, per person, right? But if it really does complete your life, then maybe it's worth it, you know?
0: Yes. All right, let's get into it. My topic this week is Why Venture Capital Doesn't Build the Things We Really Need by Elizabeth McBride. And this featured in MIT's technology review. As a heads up, this piece is something that is behind a paywall. Shreez and I figured it was interesting enough for us to pursue it anyways, because I think it has a lot of broader global implications, I guess, not just in the United States where this piece is based on.
1: Tell us what it's about.
0: Yeah. So the story starts with journalist and writer Elizabeth McBride, who speaks with the founder of Ophelia, a startup founded by Zach Gray. The initial few paragraphs aim to paint a picture of what she's about to talk about and also what role startup capital plays in just building companies. Uh, the company itself, Ophelia, is an online treatment for opiate dependence. So the business is basically helping people that have addiction to opioids get off them. Um, and it's basically done in a way So that people that are addicted, they can do it in a more private manner. So they don't feel like they're being judged, et cetera. And as the story emerged, McBride's original focus was going to be on this business. But what ended up happening was she started looking at a much broader narrative around the role of venture capital and how, despite all this stuff happening, it was actually part of a bigger problem or issue. So she leads with this one quote pretty early on in the piece, the number of venture capital firms in the U.S. had risen from 946 in 2007 to 1,328 in 2019, and the amount of money they were managing had swollen from $170.6 in 2005 to $444 billion in 2019. But beyond the fact that this stat is, frankly, astonishing, the money that's flowing into the hands of the people that are receiving the funding are primarily tech companies, and For the most part, there's been a mostly large concentrated bet around a certain type of company. And in doing so, at the end of 2019, VC firms were holding $122 billion in cash, just waiting for that next opportunity. But because they couldn't find it, they were just sort of idly waiting on the sidelines, waiting for that opportunity.
1: Because if I'm interpreting this correctly, VCs are really picky about what ideas they're going to put money into.
0: I think so. I think yes and no. I think that's Maybe overly put it. Yeah. Because you have seen some ideas and concepts that have raised a lot of money, but have like petered out very quickly. Sure. But there is a, that you do raise a good point that I'm going to address a bit later on in the piece. Okay. So as McBride is trying to understand the landscape, what she does is she hits up her friend, Charles Ellis, who has been on some of the biggest boards or most important boards in the world of finance, including uh, Vanguard and the Yale Endowment. And he also wrote a Bible for investors called Winning the Loser's Game. And according to Ellis, he says that winning the VC game is actually more so about managing resources, like human resources and human capital, because your success is not defined by how good or bad the idea is. It's actually about finding people that can potentially make this thing happen and they're charismatic and they have the ability to execute. So I think actually- Yeah, that's actually- directly in response to your question yeah, yeah so it's
1: not for a lack of ideas so much as that funds are looking for a specific type, type of, of person. person
0: and traditionally i mean the running narrative and joke is that they're traditionally white males
1: i mean i'll but, let you say it yeah and i was thinking it
0: yeah but you know what's interesting is uh did you ever watch that most recent documentary on WeWork? no yeah so basically we work as everyone knows
1: Where is this documentary?
0: I think it's on Hulu.
1: Okay, interesting.
0: Yeah. So this documentary in itself discussed sort of the trajectory and growth of WeWork. And while it had this really amazing sort of like lofty pie in the sky goal, there's a lot of sort of skeletons in the closet. There's a lot of like bad shit behind the scenes, right? So I think that's a great example of where the charisma of the leader, and in this case, it's Adam Newman. The founder of WeWork is someone that has come under a lot of fire for essentially having a very charismatic personality, but also just a lot of smoke and mirrors, like putting forth ideas that might be at its very core, very lofty and uh, innovative, but also basically a scam artist behind the scenes. I mean, that's how some people would put it. I think beyond that, what Ellis is trying to say, and this is according to uh, McBride, is that successful venture capitalists aren't necessarily those who find and fund the most innovative ideas, but the ones who know how to spot founders capable of building a company that will eventually be acquired or go public. The $1 million that might be spent to buy a 10% share of an early stage business turns into much more if that company ends up being worth $10 billion. So in short, venture capitalists are seen as those who take risks. And because they take these risks, they get outsized returns. And for the US, they've actually built a pretty strong culture around this type of funding, whether it's from VCs or just like government funding. Uh, Back in the day, they actually had a ton of government funding that helped accelerate its innovation. And some people would argue that the reason why the U.S. and even Scandinavia has has surpassed other countries like in South America is because of their amount of dedication towards innovation and funding innovation.
1: So, for example, Palantir.
0: Yes, Palantir...
1: CIA as their first client and then for the next five years they were their only client
0: and paid all their bills and that
1: worked out fine for them
0: and I think it's interesting if you talk about how to become a VC a lot of it just comes down to networking connections right so you know there's a lot of discussion around
1: or comes down to the situation you were lucky to be born with
0: exactly so just like your Ivy League education will open certain doors for you the same could be said in the VC world, like they look at sort of the whole network that surrounds you. And like, you kind of see that in a lot of places, like a private school system, like maybe an international school system you see in Hong Kong, where you're basically working your way up the sort of like school ladder with kids that you might end up doing business with down the line because they've all been sort of consolidated and put into a classroom together.
1: Sure. I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, it's, it's not, not good it's or not, bad. It, I don't know if but it's it is bad, right? Cause like it was bad in the VC sense because they're, Matching yes. for these attributes of a founder's background versus the idea itself, which is like the myth we kind of accept about VC. The myth that we accept being that it's about the idea, like the best idea will win. Yes. When in reality, what you're telling me, telling us, is that they're looking for certain aspects of the founder that, you know, yeah. regardless of yeah. what the idea is.
0: And because of the way the system has played out and that, Oftentimes, the people that run VC firms are looking at people like themselves to invest funds. Where you end up is with a certain type of portfolio company, right? And a lot of that is software-based. It means that other industries like biotech only get 5 to 10% of overall venture funding. So, for example... That might have been fine pre-COVID, but obviously a lack of investment in that space might have...
1: Might have affected the outcome of the last year. Yes. We can't tell, right? We can't go back in time. But you could say that maybe in the early 2000s, if VCs had invested in certain types of biotech companies, then maybe the last year would have gone a little differently.
0: Yeah. And then towards the end of the story, to recap everything, McBride basically showcases a foil relative to the story of Zach Gray, who raised $2.7 million for Ophelia. And Nikki King is someone who's running an idea similar to Zach. And they're providing opiate care to people in the Appalachians, which is a part in the Deep South. Where her story differs is that she basically took $50,000 to $70,000 worth of community donations to run this program that arguably is still successful, but obviously on a smaller scale. And she had this quote, rub it in, why don't you? In this community here, we raise between fifty dollars and $70,000. I'm grateful for all my donations because they were given by people who don't have a lot to give, but it's not $2.7 million. So one thing that I found fascinating about this was like I was pretty familiar with the space and sort of the, the stereotypes that exist within it where the types of ideas that do get funded are not the most pertinent ones, right? They're about ones that help with convenience or leisure, I mean, that's they're,
1: our experience of it.
0: They're basically, on they're also done in a way that it supports a certain. Also, some of the companies are created to service a certain layer. Yeah. Which have the money to spend, right?
1: Well, that's because that's like the types of problems the founders see.
0: Or the ones they can raise money for. Yeah. Like the confirmation well, bias. Yeah. But the, like I said, the reason why I found this important was one of the more interesting parts of this is how do you actually take this issue or this challenge and how do you increase the amount of cultural and societal benefit? Mm. And a lot of it came down to just working with the government because the government, just like they were able to push innovation in the United States, you know, in the 60s was through just investments in spaces that might not necessarily generate outsized returns like a software company. I follow. And, you know, I I think about that too, because I try to relate it back to our world, right? Because... Ultimately, some of us are doing things that may not necessarily have a strong business angle, but have a strong cultural and community angle. So it's like understanding how people fit within that and how they can generate some sort of benefit. Because I think right now, there's there's different competing topics here. It's like one's primarily a business-driven one where it's really about, well, where, where will you make the most money, right? And that influences the type of business that are created. But then on the flip side is like, if money is meant to be a driver for innovation and it's not resulting in innovation, do we need to define new metrics to achieve a level of success that actually is more indicative? Because yeah, think- I'm,
1: I'm thinking like I can feel my gears turning because it's interesting that you propose working with the government as a solution, which I'm not saying isn't sure, but that's like saying there is no uh, in between there. There is no way to. Recuperate VCs for alternative ideas. I think
0: there are going to be firms that pop up and they have been popping up where ESG, like basically the environmental slant to things, come into play. So,
1: do you want to define ESG for people? uh,
0: I don't know the acronym, so I might have to look it up.
1: Isn't it just environmental and social good? Oh, yeah. I guess what I'm saying is like, okay, I'm not saying government is not a source, but is there any way in the VC world that things might shift? so that they're not going like 80% funds into tech companies. Well,
0: I think ECG is a start, right? Like assigning an ECG score to various companies or just like, because it's a little funds bit harder. Or companies Companies, or like just in general, understanding their ECG as a whole, even pre and post like investment. I mean, it's harder hmm. when you're a startup, right? But like you see a lot with publicly traded companies but where they I have an ECG I mean, rate. I
1: said that, but I also don't see why like a venture fund would be motivated no, to, because to do that. No, because
0: they themselves, if they recognize where culture and society is going, could potentially play the longer game.
1: But I you mean, know, like what you said about making money, like I don't, I cannot say for sure, like those types of projects are the ones that are going to... Well, you know. I think
0: it's a scale, right? I think, I think the scale exists where not everyone is just like ham over fist, trying to make as much money with zero ethics. Like mm. I think there's going to be a range within mm. that, which is why the ECG score... In general, like, how are you even familiar with the ECG score? Like, I'm not saying that to throw shade so much as that. Stocks? Yeah, like, it's, it's that's something that's, that's starting to infiltrate our world.
1: You can get a rating on your portfolio. Yes. For supposedly how positive of an effect what you're holding has on the world. Exactly. Yeah, if you believe so in it.
0: I think that ultimately, I think we, we, we default to these things where how do you get behavior to change? and in light of a lack of a certain currency which is like fiat like money right what are other currencies that can help drive people in a different direction and i think that it, it does come down to like how do you spin a narrative in a way that actually that can generate a different type of good i mean this is something that is maybe a incomplete answer but a sort of in the same vein people that get their, people that get their names put on schools and hospitals they don't do that cuz they make money. They might get a tax write off, right? But they also do it on the basis of like some sort of social currency.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, you're right.
0: So I think that that is potentially in the lane where you're trying to generate some type of different currency um because it sucks that currency is the motivator, but I think that
1: like clout
0: It's pretty much that, right? <laughs> like social currency and clout are like two in the same. Like clout is just a modern day, like a more modernized version of social currency. Cuz like even For myself, like I think about what that future holds and I don't know if it's the right way of looking at it, but I do feel that some of this comes down to just like how you make your money and where you do good or how you do good don't necessarily need to be two in the same. So for example, if I make my money one way, this is within reason, but if I make my money one way selling, let's say hamburgers, right? Okay. And then I take those funds and then I invest in... Movements around drug addiction and eradicating drug addiction. So like you're looking at one is probably in some ways ECG negative selling beef hamburgers. Sure. Right. And then you're putting into something else.
1: Yeah. But you, you would do that. But like, how do you motivate every founder to do that or every fund?
0: But don't you think that ultimately we are looking at some sort of like broader movement in this.
1: In that direction?
0: Like cohort based movement. Like, don't you think the TikTok generation themselves are far more like socially aware?
1: Yes. I do think so. But I don't think the TikTok generation is at the point yet. Give it a couple more years where they're the ones securing the funds.
0: And sometimes that's what it comes down to is just like building that that lineage. But I do have a concern, is that, and we've talked about this before, there are certain challenges and issues that we face, and it's very much dependent on a point in time in our life. Mm, so mm-hmm. like at some point, people once they grow out of it, so-called grow out of it, they don't care about it anymore. So like when you're
1: oh uh, priorities change. Exactly right. Your experiences affect the way you navigate life. Yeah. A lot of the ideals you hold on to when you're young compromise sounds bad, but you learn a lot more about what the way the world works and you just like start accepting that Mm -hmm. as opposed to necessarily like really gunning for big change being a little bit defeated there, I guess. Is there anything else you wanted to say about this MIT article?
0: I think for me, it's as we operate in a lane that sometimes requires funding is about figuring out how to get funding because we in general don't operate in lanes that have an excess of funding. You know what I mean? So I think that's like actually a big question. Sometimes, like ideas, like this is how, this has been a, a big argument. Is that for the most part, people of color have not had the same ability to to raise capital for their ideas, yep. right? So I think that this is probably a, a bigger issue or challenge that needs to be solved. Is that there are a lot of problems out there, but for the most part, access to the tools, whether it's capital, whether it's network connections aren't really set up. The infrastructure really isn't there to the same extent. Just the actual like cold, hard cash that's required to start a business at times. The thing about money too, is that it just buys you time and it buys you outs. So like one failure is not catastrophic relative to the health of your company. Like you might be able to take two, three or four failures, like micro failures within a company's trajectory before you find the right one and sometimes if you don't raise enough money you don't have the ability to do that
1: you can start out and then encounter unexpected things like the pandemic over the last year and that doesn't mean that your idea is bad it means that you need enough capital to ride out a tough patch yeah so
0: like in in, in some ways you know even bringing it closer to home like we raised money for macon and that wasn't through like a vc i think if you look at this the general outcome of a lot of media companies that raised venture capital, it would have significantly changed the type of product making is and was, right?
1: Let's say in a hypothetical world, you started making and had gotten venture capital funds.
0: It would probably have to close down, I bet. Yeah. I think it would have to close down. That's
1: my bet too, but I wanted to see what you were going to say.
0: I think it would have to close down because, well, no, it's not true. I think that-
1: Okay you you tell me what you think would I think have we, the play out been. I
0: think that the things that you would you were required to do at that era, the sort of the call it 2016 to like 2019, 2020 of just pure scale, you'd probably be dumping money into ads without any sort of meaningful approach. maybe maybe you would be dumping money into ads in hopes of converting into in hopes of converting people into a subscription. Yeah, so maybe you would have been ahead of the curve in that regard, but I also don't think that our idea necessarily lended it itself to scale. All right, let's move on to your topic.
1: Okay. All right. My subject this week was originally published as an article in Heist and Biety eight months ago. Don't know if you're aware of that. And it was recently republished by the author of the article, Anna Angelic, in the Sociology of Business newsletter. The title that Anna gave it is Creativity is Dead, Long Live Curation. Subtitle, Curation as a Preferential Strategy for Brand Differentiation, Relevance, and Equity Gain. So to start off with, the word curate, mm, curator and curation when i was growing up was what i thought of as like fancy people in museums and galleries me too doing okay great (laughs) so that was like my impression growing up but nowadays curation has been democratized and is very much an everyday word at least in i think our creative circles um and when i say democratized i think of that as like something a lot of things have become and we talk about that a lot about how the internet has democratized a lot of possibilities for people making things and selling things and making money. I thought this was a really interesting quote coming from Hans Ulrich Obrist, who is the artistic director at the Serpentine Galleries. And he believes that creation is to be able to bring art and creative ideas into all parts of society accessible to anyone. And this is a quote from him. Places where exhibitions are presented are inaccessible to large parts of society. I was always interested in creating exhibitions that can be seen by as many people as possible, shown in many cities, and open to many audiences. Curer, curatus, means to care. Initially, it meant to install objects in the museum. A curator was a caretaker of objects. Curation is also about curiosity. But then it happened that curation has expanded. and That has to do with art having expanded. So that's like the art take, I would say, on mm-hmm. the word curate. And I think something interesting has happened with the language of the word. Because I, I think that when you say curate now, people don't necessarily think fine art anymore.
0: Yeah. When I think of curation now, I think of creating an experience for consumption.
1: Mm.
0: So me curating my Instagram Account of found imagery is me preparing you a grid or a feed of things for you to consume, and it feels good because it's all like subtly interwoven.
1: I don't know if I would use the word create though, because I think curation for me is about selection.
0: But that's creating a selection. I mean, yeah, it's, I think it's, it
1: is creating it's a selection. But yes, you're but right. I agree. I agree. Creation in the sense that, like, I'm not putting pen to paper
0: i'm not putting anything new in the world beyond realigning things yes
1: i'm rearranging things or creating a new arrangement of existing things so anna the author of this piece presents acne studios as a brand that the author identifies of doing a really good job of curation Um, They say that Agni Studios has a clearly identifiable curatorial point of view when you go into their stores, and they have this selection that is obvious to people as being curated influencers, friends, architects, designers, etc. To continue talking about brands and curation and what brands are doing in that space, I guess, is to say that they are concerning themselves with more than just products, so no longer just The item that has a sticker on it for sale, but all of these, well, anything that is part of the experience, like you were saying, you know, so that could be for Agni Studios, that's the architect who designs the store, the furniture designer, yeah, the scent, the music. So all of that together is curation, according to this like modern definition of what brands are doing. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering... A question to you is who you think is doing a good job of curation right now?
0: These are the hardest questions for me because they're always like, what are some of your favorite brands? What are so-and-so? Well, I don't
1: think it has to be a favorite.
0: No, but I understand.
1: If you don't want to pick like, if you don't want to be congratulatory to a brand, you could say, oh, I see a brand attempting to do curation in a certain way.
0: Hmm. I actually don't have an answer. I think the reason why is probably my just media consumption habits don't allow me to register things. Plus sort of the, the stripping away of like Eugene identity. Has like an
1: auto filter for like... Yeah.
0: Well, I think that that's what's challenging, right? There's like an, a part of our, the way we consume social media that strips away a lot of stuff where you're left with not necessarily that many things that you can actually communicate. So for example, when, I, when you come across something on, on social media the only thing you can really curate is the content you can't create the the layout the experience of of like scrolling through it's all stripped away right yep. which is why if you consume a lot of stuff like i consume quite a bit of content like it's a lot harder to create a sticky experience for me versus you know when you go to websites i think websites are different because websites have a lot more variables that you can control and play with.
1: You know it's funny because I thought I was asking you a straightforward question and then obviously like got an answer that is not the answer I thought I was going <laughs> to totally get.
0: unrelated.
1: Totally unrelated. Okay, maybe this is an easier one. What about any individuals? Do you see any individual curators in the modern day sense doing stuff that you're interested in?
0: Yeah, I don't I don't have an answer for that. I honestly don't. Maybe my 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 Threshold is too high, combined with just like an amalgamation of fifty billion things going on in my head. But no, can't think of anything. Maybe I bet you if I I bet you if I listen to music, I would probably have a better a better answer. What? I think music
1: That's and like
0: because I, I think music in terms of how you bring people together has quite a few touch points. Because music itself is sound, it's lyrics, sometimes music videos. I think that's probably a better way of like exercising the curation POV.
1: One person I might, who comes to mind is Josephine Cruz, who mm. is in the music space, Yeah, who's a longtime friend of ours based in Toronto, who is a DJ and a music events organizer. But mainly I am thinking of ISO radio, which is a community radio station that she runs and they just got a new physical space. So that's quite exciting and and I know it's not the same as like, it's definitely not brands in the sense that like Acne Studio brands, but I do think she identifies, she and all of her collaborators identifies uh, genuinely interesting people doing cool things. Yeah. Locally.
0: Like, I th- I think that I need to preface that because it's not that I personally think no one's doing anything good. It's more that I struggle to like identify what it is.
1: That's fine. I, I, I thought you might answer the brands question better, but. I guess not.
0: <laughs> well, I think a lot of the brands that I enjoy don't really have do that curation? much creation. You
1: think it's like pure, like their own original content that they're doing?
0: Yeah, for the most part. Like mm-hmm. I don't actually, I actually don't find that much value in curated experiences when it comes to like an Instagram, for example. Like if that's the example you want me to kind of go down, no, I don't.
1: No, I'm moving like Agni Studios, right? Like, would you agree that Agni Studios is a good example, though? There I have another example actually. I wasn't this isn't like a test that you're supposed to pass, but another example is Dover Street Market and Ray Kawakubo. And I can't actually say like what DSM is doing in this specific moment, but I would say like they are one of the first to curate that shopping experience that is not just about like, or a single line of products.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I can get behind that, but I also like I think, I think maybe curation and brand are probably similar, but I look at brand as an easier thing to answer than curation.
1: Well, okay, in this definition of that's presented by this author, brand is, as we understand it, brand. Curation is an activity, correct? Like an action that a brand can choose to do or not. Yes. Yeah. So it's not the curation doesn't take the place of the brand. Yeah, it's yeah. Kind no, of like I understand a strategy that Strategy of yeah. like what the brand is going to do in the future. So I'm going to read a quote that might also clear this up for listeners uh, from Anna. When brands moved from manufacturing products to manufacturing culture, design, luxury and art, curation zoomed on to taste, aesthetics, identity and social status. Curation became the fuel of modern culture. It is indispensable in the cultural landscape where products, people and experiences are all comparable in value. A concert can be equally desirable as a bottle of vintage bourbon as a pair of rare sneakers. It is not hard to see how this crowded cultural landscape can lead to the consumer choice overload and why curation gained prominence as the obvious way out of it. The role of a curator is to sort through culture and show us what we need to know and why.
0: Mm -hmm. Which actually, before you said that, I was going to lean actually probably more into like media. Like well curated media.
1: Well, one of my questions to you was gonna be, would you call what we do in some ways curation?
0: Yes, but I think our curation actually is not good. And I say that like because the curation that is successful is very easy to understand. I think our curation is mm. super cerebral.
1: Like yeah. if you don't if you
0: don't spend, you know,
1: that's complicated some time
0: with making, then you might think it's just random. <laughs> right and i think that's just the reality so i think that curation uh, is struggle. like me it's like me looking on an instagram and seeing all things that are beige you know like really that's, that's like so boring but that's what i'm saying like some people look for that they look for or like i just look for um straight up outdoor gear right sure like that that to me is like a level of curation that is somewhat easy it's like find a nice photo and just find like visual themes to me are a lot easier to follow than Conceptual themes.
1: Yeah, I I take your point. But at the same time, when I was reading this and reading this definition of curation, I felt like, well, isn't that what every editor in chief does? Because you're commissioning writing across the board.
0: I would say that the
1: And maybe that's what you're saying is that Macon has never had really hard line verticals. Yeah. So I
0: almost like don't even want to like I think that's to our detriment, actually.
1: Well, now I feel like we're having an editorial meeting <laughs> where we could reconsider. I can realign things to be no, like no, no, definitively no, it's like fashion, to our, art, it's our, music. It's to our
0: detriment because that's not how we think the world works. Like it's, that's a Yeah, you I know, don't think it does. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, I think if I look back on the things I consume the most because of the curated experience, it's probably like Jing Daily. And that's like a publication that is, I think it's based in the US, but also talks a lot about things that are going on in Asia and China, but from the lens of like luxury and fashion. I think that curation is 100% necessary, but I think curation also has different value to different people.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: As as it was mentioned there, it's like people that don't surf the internet all day as their job will need curation more than someone whose job it is to surf the internet.
1: Right. So we're the outliers is what you're saying since we spend all day surfing the internet i wanted to talk a little bit more about brands because i kind of wanted to bring it around to a recent piece of news foreshadowing so anna talks about how curation can extend the lifetime of a product beyond the launch of it so that let's say you launch a garment right and there's something interesting about the garment but then what do you do with the garment after it's like hit the shelves right so then you can make it part of an exhibition, you can do something with an artist, et cetera. Right, you get the point. Brands with curatorial intent are able to connect people, products, and ideas that will give people a new perspective on what they already know and also potentially result in something genuinely new and interesting. And actually that wasn't a quote, that was like me paraphrasing, but Anna does give examples of some big collaborations like LVMH and Supreme as an example of brands attempting to do something curatorially Mm -hmm. interesting so the recent news which we already talked about a little bit off air was this lawsuit happening between the north face and futura futura
0: being the og graffiti artist
1: yes and what happened is the north face launched a product line called future light and it's I didn't look too much into what the apparel is, but there's something technical about yeah. That, it's like this a performance line. Yeah. Uh, the problem being the name Future Light, in conjunction with a logo that is this helix, yeah, like which an, is
0: kind of like an atom spinning around exactly, an axis,
1: which very closely resembles something that Futura draws a lot. That yeah, uses like if you search his work.
0: Futura Helix, like there that that is in itself a search.
1: Yeah, so this came up in our Discord as a point of interest. And I'm going to read you what Gregory asked us. He said, whether existing copyright and IP laws still hold up in our era when everyone is constantly remixing and repurposing. He does make an interesting point, you know, like, because we're talking about creation, brings together all these different people and products and ideas. Does that step over a IP copyright law sometimes? Or what is the line between...
0: You'd probably have to hit up a lawyer to see what they'd say, like the actual response. But for me, I think the reason why this is such a big issue is that it's so close in terms of Future Light plus Helix meets Futura, who also has a Helix. Like, I think that once you create confusion and they also operate in the same lane it's not like this is a kitchen company right that sure. is unrelated this is actually a brand that has worked with Futura in the past i believe
1: yeah and Futura does apparel as well
0: yeah so i think that's actually where the big issue lies like for some people they actually thought it was a Futura collab and when that happens i think that's when you're
1: when you know there is confusion that yeah. you've generated confusion because i
0: said there's two elements here right you, you created the name, well, I don't know if there's the right usage, but you, you curated the name and you created the graphic design. If you picked one of those two, I think you would not have an issue. It's like or, if they called it like super quick and it had the Helix logo, I think that you'd be less inclined to be like, hey, that's a Futura ripoff.
1: Yeah. Or there could have been a more exciting possibility where they actually worked with Futura.
0: Yeah. It's not like Futura owned the rights to the name Futura.
1: No, he doesn't. A, or the like word it's a, future. F- it's a font. But yeah. if, you know, in this situation where there is confusion and the North Face is trying to, I guess, borrow elements from Futura's work, it makes a lot of sense to me for the North Face to think, okay, actually, let's just work directly with him. Yeah. Like We know that probably could have resulted in something that's actually. Win-win. Yeah, like a win-win for everyone you know, the brand. So funny. This guy's walking past
0: with a massive North face Gucci bag.
1: Oh, the timing of it all. And also I don't know if you notice
0: there's a future t-shirt right across the way, right across the hallway.
1: We're so relevant (laughs) at this moment.
0: Yeah. 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 And
1: so to answer that question that Gregory posed in the discord, I was thinking about it. And I think an element of good curation is always being able to give credit and provide context. So it's okay that as a curator or or this like creator of this experience that the new thing you've made is the amalgamation, Mm -hmm. right? Like you've created these new associations between things and you've rearranged it into some kind of new experience. But the elements of it are not original to you. Mm -hmm. So I think to be a good curator is to still attribute where things came from and i think genuinely like that context also makes it more interesting to be able to say like futura's type of work what his themes are and how does this relate to this technical garment yeah that could give you know a richness to what's happening
0: given how curation itself has started to not be this sort of like oh you're just recycling content or you're recycling ideas do you think that there is as you mentioned increased value in sharing sourcing versus in the past like a lot of people just hide it yeah
1: i mean i think so
0: you think that it's more valuable now it's like it's more acceptable to share the provenance of like an idea
1: yeah i think so i think it's the way to go like i think it gets you further too like if you're a dj let's say and to share like oh these are all the artists i'm listening to this is the music that's good like I feel like that would boost your credibility and people's interest in you, as opposed to like being really mysterious about like where you got a track.
0: Yeah. yeah that, I think that's my stance on you know it what? at least. That's super relevant because I think in this day and age, we've definitely shifted years where openness and community is super valuable. Right? Like I think that that's one thing that was maybe a little bit different in the past was there was a far more aspiration and a sense of things being closed off before
1: i'm excited to yeah. share all of my references with people like if i don't think of it it's probably just like me being lazy totally. and not because i'm trying to hide where i you know was inspired or what i've been looking at
0: like i personally don't put that much value in ideas so i'm happy to share ideas sources and stuff like a lot of people Someone asked me for recommendations on podcasts and whatnot. I'm like, I don't, I, I love, I don't mind sharing things, right? Even work-related things. Cause I think ultimately it's about execution. Like yeah, I think that that's what
1: you do with it, right?
0: Curation in itself is not just picking photos. It's not just picking music. It's like all these things. So the more variables you introduce and the more awareness you have on these variables, the better your creation. So like giving them one thing, out of what could be 300 micro decisions you're going to make to curate something is not a big deal in the grand scheme of things.
1: Yeah. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap up for the day. If you are interested in hearing more about make reading and listening to some of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at makein.com. M-A-E-K-A-N.com.
0: You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast admin platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by sharing this podcast with a friend or supporting us via Patreon.com slash Macon.
1: Patreon members get access to the Macon Discord, where we talk about episodes of Making It Up and everything else going on in global creative culture. Become a member and join us in those conversations. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice.
0: And this is Making It Up.